I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. And this is Rachel and her family. Hi, my name is Rachel, and we are a family of 10. So along with Rachel, who is 29, there's Liam, who I thought was younger than me, but honestly couldn't tell you his age because at this point he seems to think that it's a huge joke. One of our friends knows how old he is. I still don't. Then there's Noel and Lexi. Both 18 years old. And then there's Jamie, another question mark, age-wise. Again, I'm not sure how old he is. Jajin's about 21, 22. Our little is under 10 years old. That name again? Our little. That's what they call the youngest. And Minnie is 42 and Graham is 45. Oh, and Alexa's 17. Rachel's family are not what you might be thinking. They're not siblings, but they all live together in the same body. We're, we're a DID system, dissociative identity disorder. Most people know it as multiple personality, but DID is the proper and updated term for it. DID is an interesting condition in that a lot of people have heard of it, or have heard of multiple personality disorder back when it was called that. And quite a few people live with it. It's believed to be anywhere from 1.5 to 2% of the population, which is millions of people. And yet, very few people understand it. DID is characterized by two or more distinct personalities that share a body. These personalities may communicate with each other, or they may not. They may know about each other, or they may not. And some people with DID and their doctors describe the personalities having different interests, different ways of speaking, different ways of dressing. They can even have physiological differences, asthma, allergies. Some can need glasses when others don't. Rachel, she lives with all of this. And so do the alters. We're not sharing Rachel's last name because of safety concerns unrelated to this documentary. Our producer, Rachel Levy-McLaughlin, coincidentally another Rachel, is going to take it from here. As a system, we have very different skills. We do have overlaps. For instance, Noel and I are both writers, so our artistic like catharsis is very similar. Lexi is a huge dancer, which blows my mind because I've always wanted to and have never been able to. <laughs> uh, Liam is a is a beautiful abstract painter. He comes out all the time and just does quite a few energy, energy portraits. So he never paints people, but he paints the colors of uh, the energy within our system. Is this one of his pieces here that beside is. me? That is one of his pieces. That that one is, I believe it's called Can I Dream for a Few More Months? And that is a portrait of all of us, all of our energies. 
Dissociative identity disorder is when someone has multiple distinct identities. Rachel calls them parts or alters, and she often refers to her system, which is the term for all of the alters within a body. I didn't know I really had DID. Like I knew I was knew I was different as a kid, um, and I knew that there were people that other people didn't understand who I was talking about, but it never really bothered me. And then uh, I went through a long period of my life without it, without that connection. I mean, and. Around 22 was when, 20, 21, 22 is when I was diagnosed. And then just as of 2016 is when I really started to work with parts. Liam was the first one to come out. And then Lexi was the one to come out in 2017. And then 2018 was just a flood of people <laughs> until everyone is out as of 2019. So, yeah. I thought it would be good to get a sort of baseline for who's fronting the word for which personality is out and using the body, the personality I would be talking to. Who is fronting right now? Rachel, I am fronting right now. Although, because I said both Liam and Lexi are close to the surface, they are co-conscious right now, which is, I would say, like the second closest circle to being front. All right. We're going to start Julian. Rachel's wife, Julian, is used to this. She's used to figuring out who's fronting. I will get you to introduce yourself. Hi. <laughs> I'm Julian Jarlaglin. Um, and I, I suck at being interviewed with the radio, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> she and Rachel have been together for six years. That was before Rachel had really started to work with the altars and before she even knew exactly how many were there. Essentially, what I did was I just... I, I took a very accepting stance to it, and every time another one came in, I wasn't, like, surprised. I just accepted that, yeah, no, there might be more. And even now that, because I know, I used to I used to ask, like, do you think, like, are there any more? And sometimes there would be, like, maybe, maybe not. And then a few times it was like, no, there are no more. And then a few weeks later it would be like, there's actually another one. That's happened, like, twice, I think. I trusted Liam when he yeah. told me there were no more and he was just I was like dude <laughs> Liam remember is one of the altars now I'm sure there are there are no more outside of the house currently that does not mean that I won't have any more in the future but I'm like it's a very settled feeling that I didn't have before because before I was just like I'm not sure like it doesn't feel like everybody's in the house I still feel like there are people outside the house Rachel is full of these terms. System, fronting, the house is another one. It's like her consciousness is a house, and who's in the house is referring to which altars she's aware of. And once they're in the house, in her head, Rachel can talk to them. Once they're in the house, they are part of the functioning collective that we have. They have a job, they have things they need to be doing every day in order to keep things level. So everyone was outside of the house, Liam came in first, then Lexi, and then everyone was like, house party, and came in. That's kind of how I view it at this point. So you have to meet all of these altars as they come in? If they choose to come out, yes. Because some of them, well, some of them, like Minnie, doesn't really come out. I don't think I've ever been introduced to her, but I've met her. Like when she's been out, I've noticed that she's been out. And same for, I don't, I think I might have met Graham once, 
but I'm not sure because he also hasn't introduced himself. Do you feel like you're sort of in relationships with these different alters? No, that's probably the that's probably the thing that people misunderstand the most. Because like I'm married to Rachel, I'm in a relationship with Rachel. I do not have the same relationship with Liam or Lexi. Like where it's more like having, I guess it would be like stepbrothers, kind of. <laughs> like you know, brother in but yeah, 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 br- brothers in law. Julian, can you tell me about a time when you it was very clear that someone else had come forward? I know which one you're thinking of. <laughs> I do because it's your favorite. Oh, I can't, I can't remember what was said. But it was we we were having a conversation and Rachel said something like in in joke. She said something about Lexi and I looked at her and I watched her slap her own face. Only so like like Lexi took control over just the hand just to slap her face. And she looked so surprised, which is why I was like, that was not played. That actually happened. You slapped herself in the face. (laughs) That was hilarious. So what happened is Rachel said something about Lexi. Lexi temporarily fronted and slapped Rachel in the face. Do you remember that moment? I do. I implied he was a little bit of a slut. <laughs> it was a joke because he likes he likes to flirt with all the guys that he meets, including friends of mine that it's like, that's not viable. <laughs> so yeah, I may have implied that he's a bit of a flirt. I'll say that instead. He was a bit of a flirt and he took, he, he, he just wanted to prove a point. Rachel knows that there are people who will be skeptical, but she's still happy to answer questions about it. At this point in time, I don't try to convince people anymore. Like, it's either you believe me and you want to talk about it, and a lot of the time that's what I get are people being very sweet and being like, can I ask this question? Are you going to Are you gonna get mad if I don't? I'm like, no, if you have, like, honest, you have honest questions about it, like, I'm more than happy. And that's why Rachel wanted to do this story with me to help people understand this disorder better. It's new territory for me, and it can feel like a lot to wrap my head around. So I wanted to talk to someone who spent a long time studying this. I'm Dr. Edred Flack. I'm a psychiatrist at Mount Sinai Hospital in the Department of Psychiatry, and an associate professor with the University of Toronto in the Department of Psychiatry. Adred Flack is one of the few psychiatrists in Toronto who specializes in dissociative identity disorder. I'd say that I first encountered the first patient that I recognized anyway, probably in the late 1970s. So it was, that was a long time ago. Rachel is not one of his patients, but he's treated scores of people with DID. These patients have a very strong history, typically, of severe and prolonged abuse in childhood, most commonly in my experience of the patients that are sent to me of sexual abuse. This is, this is not unique to DID, but it certainly is, a, is very strongly present in upwards of 95% of the cases. In that context of the severe childhood sexual abuse, you can understand that the dissociation is a way of self-protecting so that the patient could say, I can't, I, can't tolerate the, I can't tolerate this experience. I can't tolerate living with the memory of this throughout the rest of my day. So I'm going to compartmentalize it. They don't do it consciously. It's not done deliberately. And not everybody can do it. You have to have the capacity to dissociate like that. 
but it looks as if it's a protective mechanism to allow them to get through some really horrible situations. That was the case for Rachel. Do you mind sharing what happened to you? A lot of it had to do with a detached caregiver. My dad wasn't around. My mom was a single mom supporting me. She did a great job, but that did mean that she was working crazy hours. There were also plenty of abusive relationships that I've been with over the years that I witnessed my mom being in over the years, as well as sexual abuse at a very young age, which is a lot of what Alexa holds and why she's she doesn't like to come out around men. Rachel doesn't remember the specifics about her sexual abuse. It's one of the alters, Alexa, who remembers the details, which is typically how DID works. Alexa takes it on so that Rachel doesn't have to carry the weight of those memories. It is very common, especially for trauma holders, to be the ones that singularly hold memories for a lot of like trauma memories specifically. Rachel knows it happened at a family holiday event when she was young, but for her, it's all pretty vague. I don't have access to all the memories. I really kind of operate. I like to call myself like, this isn't, this isn't like an official job, but it's what I like to consider my job is I'm more of the survivalist. Like I'm strategy based. I'm very level headed. I don't experience extreme emotions. I just don't. AC here. Coming up, Rachel invites journalist Rachel to meet one of the altars. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. So I just want to check in. Has it been Rachel this whole time? Yes, it has. Um, Lexi's very, very close. Like, he's he is very close to co-fronting because he's... Loves to be in the spotlight. But yes, the whole, I've been the only person talking this whole time. Lexi, I would love to talk to you later. 100% going to talk to you later. I see traces of the altars all over the apartment. Liam's paintings on the walls, a fort made out of bedsheets they built for the youngest altar, who Rachel calls their little. But I haven't met them. And it takes a while. Rachel told me Liam wanted to lay out some ground rules. So after a few days, I go back to their apartment. When I walk in, there's loud, upbeat dance music playing, and Rachel comes to the door, basically skipping into my line of sight. She's wearing a yellow-striped bodysuit, black leggings, and pink leg warmers. She throws her arms up in the air and goes, Hey, of course. It's Lexi who identifies as male. He's fronting, not Rachel. So, 
I just want to get you to introduce yourself. Hi. Hi, I'm Lexi. Do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? I like to dance. I, hmm, I've never had to do an about me section before. What exactly would you like to know? Yeah, you like, you like to dance. What, what's your role in the system? I am a protector, specifically as it relates to sexuality. What does that mean? It means with situations with sexuality come up or sexual situations, I am generally around and or fronting to make sure that everything's safe and good. And how do you, how do you, like, what is your sort of philosophy in fulfilling that role? To have fun, to make sex fun again, because a lot of people in our system don't find it to be that. So I kind of get to be free and, and enjoy it, whereas most people don't. So I guess it kind of helps maintain a balance to some degree. Do you ever come out when Rachel does not want you to? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I also don't come out when she wants me to come out a lot of the time. <laughs> I come out when I feel like it. you can't push me. Do you remember a time in particular when... You were like, I know she doesn't want me to come out. Anytime she's on a date with someone she likes. Because <laughs> they always like me more. <laughs> I'm just fun, okay? It's not my fault. <laughs> Lexi is much louder than Rachel. I had to really turn down my recorder. And he talks with his hands. A lot. By now, Lexi had roped Julian into the conversation, and I couldn't help but notice differences in the way he interacts with Julian. In my conversation with Rachel, she was holding hands with Julian the entire time. But here, Lexi kept flirtatiously pushing Julian's chair with his foot. And what's your relationship like with Julian? We're friends. I, I, I hesitate to say looking at the way she reacted to you asking that question. I don't know, maybe we're frenemies. Are we frenemies? We're friends. We're friends. <laughs> Might be. We're frenemies sometimes. <laughs> um, and Julian and Rachel told me about this time that uh, you slapped Rachel. Can you tell me about that? She called me a slut. <laughs> I was just going to sit by and let her do it. Then I'd, be a, then I'd be a little bitch. I have to hold up my shit, man. No one else is going to defend me. I'm going to do it. Defend my own honor. I don't need no man. Is there anything you know that Rachel doesn't know? Yes. I'm being told that's all I can say. You're being censored, Liam. Yes. <laughs> Liam, I'll check in with you later. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> He's like talking to a brick wall if he doesn't want to tell you something. She laughs because it's true. Rachel has spent the last few years trying to build better relationships with the altars. And Dr. Flack says that's a crucial aspect of his work with people who have DID. And what are the repercussions if the altars don't have a good relationship? Well, everybody suffers to some extent from internal conflict. We all have, uh, have our own sets of values, and sometimes they are in conflict. But internal conflict can be very distressing for the individual. 
Uh, we know that there's a high rate of suicide attempt amongst patients who have dissociative identity disorder. So there's often a lot of internal distress, not just conflict. And what he's describing, that happened to Rachel too. A few years ago, she attempted suicide, or rather someone in her system did. She still isn't clear on exactly what happened. She says she texted her boyfriend at the time, saying she wasn't feeling great after running into an ex, and things spiraled. Whatever had happened when I'd run into my ex earlier that day triggered someone out. And I, from what I understand, it was Noel, but I'm not 100% clear on that. Either way, fell asleep on Saturday night, woke up on Tuesday, and was in the hospital across, like, across the state. And they told me that I had attempted suicide by swallowing 240 sleeping pills. And they were amazed that I didn't need a liver transplant and that I was even alive. For Rachel, waking up in the hospital and seeing her mom crying beside her bed was somewhat of a turning point in her relationship with the altars. Like, the minute I saw my mom's face, I was like, wow, that's never a viable option ever again, and it's never going to be, which has helped our system a lot going forward. Rachel has been encouraging the altars to interact with the outside world more. Lexi is more than happy to, but the others are more hesitant. Rachel asked Liam if he wanted to talk to me, and he said sure. Rachel told me he really likes painting, so I thought we could paint and talk at the same time. So I pack up some paints and head over. This time when I walk in, things are pretty different. Rachel's mom, Mary Lou, is there. I walk in the door, and Rachel, I can tell it's not really her. It's Liam, and he's all business. Doesn't say hello to me, just walks, I would almost say stomps, to the washing machine with arms full of bed sheets, saying, God, how many sheets do you guys go through? This time, the outfit is very different. It's paint-splattered jeans, a black sweater with deliberate holes. So I pull out the painting materials I'd brought. Liam introduces himself and shakes my hand. Hi, my name's Liam. Um, I mean, do you want who I am as an individual or who I am in my system? Who you are as an individual? Painter, I like poetry. Really love Bruce Springsteen. I don't know. Um... I don't think about who I am that often, to be honest. Why is that? It's easier to just be me than to think about how to describe it to other people. And what is your role in the system? I am our protector. One of them, anyway. But I protect people. (laughs) Um, Do you want, like, my take on my job? Yeah. I mean, I've always been fiercely protective of my family, and it's just always felt very natural. They're the only people I've ever really known, and I mean, keeping them safe just seems like kind of an obvious choice. So it's an easy job to fall into. No one else is doing it. I can do it. Throughout the course of our painting, it ended up becoming more of a conversation between Rachel's mom, Mary Lou, and Liam. 
No, I want. What are you describing? No, the, the difference between between what's like being in the body and being inside. So interior, exterior world, I guess is what we're talking about. He's talking about being the one fronting in the body versus being inside. It's got to be awfully different. Yeah. People always think it's not. It is. I mean, like, I love both. Neither feels more real than the other. It's not a big deal. Is that right? No. They don't feel... One does not feel more real than the other. They're just different. Well, I guess not. They're different rules of reality apply to both. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to chat with Mary Lou, too, once the painting was done. Uh, I'm Mary Lou, and I am Rachel, Liam, everybody's mother. <laughs> what was it like for you to sort of hear this from Rachel for the first time that she has DID? I never doubted it. I never doubted her. Um, I think when she said it, it made a lot of things make sense. But that wasn't even my first reaction. It was just, okay, um, what does that feel like? What does that mean? You know, how are you, you know, how are you about it? it it's such new territory. It's, um, it's not scary. It's not... I've had people say, isn't that a kind of a creepy thing? I'm going, no, not at all. You know, there's nothing dark or weird. It's just another manifestation of what human beings can be. And I guess I feel kind of fortunate to... um, be able to know know her firsthand, um, know all of them firsthand. Liam tells me Noel isn't ready to talk yet. I don't think Noel's going to come out tonight. He has had a rough week. So once again, I come back to their apartment. This time, no one really greets me at the door. Rachel told me Noel would be out already. He's sitting on the couch wearing a graphic t-shirt, athletic shorts, and high socks. And he's sitting beside a friend of theirs, Kiriana. She tells me she's there for emotional support. It takes a few minutes for Noel to even look at me. He gets up from the couch, microwaves some pizza, sits back down, and eats it. Then he says hello. It becomes pretty clear that a more traditional interview isn't going to be very comfortable, so I suggest we watch videos and just chat. Yeah, you did a very good job. I think I probably would have swapped. Yeah. Noel is very, very quiet. He pipes in only every now and then, and he sits on the couch the same way basically the whole time I'm there. Knees to his chest, arms around his knees, curling his toes in. Did you see the sequel from Monster Brown? That's Noel. Yeah, it's it's not out yet, but it's on Steam now, like the coming soon. They're talking about a video game called Monster Prom. Rachel and Noel both like playing video games, so they wanted to create their own to help people understand what it's like living with DID. In the game that they're building, the protagonist has DID. Rachel told me the game was Noel's idea and that he'd probably be excited to talk about it. But he's feeling shy still, so we just start playing a few games. So what's the premise of this one? You are a monster oh. trying to get a date to Monster Prom. 
Yeah, like your high school prom. In the game they're designing, there's one aspect Noel really wants, dissociation. One example they told me about is on a menu of three choices, you can only actually click one. The game will keep bringing your mouse back to that one choice. So I asked Noel why that's important for him. Because when you're dealing with inner family, that's how it is. You have somebody that's going to decide something for you more likely than not. In certain circumstances. And that was really one of the only moments Noel shared any personal details with me. There's a reason I hadn't talked to Noel until this point. There was about a week where I didn't do interviews with any of them, and that was because they'd been going through something. We had some really bad news uh, that we got last week about some someone that we were very close to when we were kids, like multiple of us. It hit all of us a lot differently, and that has caused a split. And now we're a family of 11. There was a moment that really touched me, which is when um, I was freaking out a little bit about it because it's overwhelming and it's a huge change and it's a lot. I just started getting used to talking and, and getting along with the people that are already here, that putting a new person into it can be a little overwhelming. But Jules told me that she's like, whoever, whoever comes out, we'll, we'll welcome them and we'll figure it out together. And I thought that that was sweet. Their mom, Mary Lou, has a similar attitude. She says she's glad to be able to learn from Rachel and the altars. I think there must be a level of deeper wisdom. How could there not be if there's more than one personality, there's more than, more than one person there? And, and they're different ages, and they're all different. She's just always, always struck me as remarkable in a number of ways. But there's a depth, there's always been a depth to her, and I think that's the best way to say it. Is there anything that you want to say now to Rachel, to the altars, to everyone in the system? I love absolutely every one of you, even those I don't yet know. You all have a reason and a right to be here. And I'm glad you're all here. Rachel has researched DID a lot and came across a TV show with a moment that really resonated for her and Liam. It was a conversation between the host, so the Rachel, and the main protector. And Rachel says she and Liam had the same conversation. It went something like this. The protector was like, if I could take everything away, if I could have like erased everything bad that had happened to you, I hope you know that I would have done it. And the host just turns and is like, yeah, but then I wouldn't have you and I wouldn't be me and that's too much to lose at that point because I like who I am and I like 
all of the mess that came with it, that means I can still like mourn the parts of me that got lost because of the abuse, because of the things that shaped the disorder that I have. But at the same time, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That doc was produced by Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. It was edited by Julia Poggle. On our website, we have photos of Rachel and Lexi, also of the painting that Liam and doc producer Rachel made together. That's all at cbc.ca slash docproject. Also, the video game that they were building is still in the works. They're planning on releasing a trailer for it soon. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Kent Hoffman, and me, Brandy Wykley is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Julia Poggle. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.